Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. That the Federation had gone to pieces, so the party returned to Anorak. When I showed Ja our map and explained its purpose to him, he was much interested. The location of Anorak, the mountains of the clouds, the river, and the strip of seacoast were all familiar to him. He quickly indicated the position of the inland sea, and close beside it the city of Futra, where one of the powerful Mehar nations had its seat. He likewise showed us where Sari should be, and carried his own coastline as far north and south as it was known to him. His additions to the map convinced us that Greenwich lay upon the verge of this same sea, and that it might be reached by water more easily than by the arduous crossing of the mountains or the dangerous approach through Futra, which lay almost directly in line between Anorak and Greenwich to the northwest. If Sari lay upon the same water, then the shoreline must bend far back toward the southwest of Greenwich, an assumption which, by the way, we found later to be true. Also, Sari was upon a lofty plateau, at the southern end of a mighty gulf of the great ocean. The location which Jog gave to distant Amos puzzled us, for it placed it due north of Greenwich, apparently in mid-ocean. As Jaw had never been so far, and knew only of Amos through hearsay, we thought that he must be mistaken. But he was not. Amos lies directly north of Greenwich, across the mouth of the same gulf as that upon which Sari is. The sense of direction and location of these primitive pellucidarians is little short of uncanny, as I have had occasion to remark in the past. You may take one of them to the uttermost ends of his world, to places of which he has never even heard, yet without sun or moon or stars to guide him, without map or compass, he will travel straight for home in the shortest direction. Mountains, rivers, and seas may have to be gone around, but never once does his sense of direction fail him. The homing instinct is supreme. In the same remarkable way, they never forget the location of any place to which they have ever been, and know that of many of which they have only heard from others who have visited them. In short, each Pellucidarian is a walking geography of his own district and of much of the country contiguous thereto. It always proved of the greatest aid to Perry and me. Nevertheless, we were anxious to enlarge our map, for we at least were not endowed with the homing instinct. After several long councils, it was decided that in order to expedite matters, 
Perry should return to the prospector with a strong party of Mesops and fetch the freight I had brought from the outer world. Ja and his warriors were much impressed by our firearms, and were also anxious to build boats with sails. As we had arms at the prospector, and also books on boat-building, we thought that it might prove an excellent idea to start these naturally maritime people upon the construction of a well-built navy of staunch sailing-vessels. I was sure that with definite plans to go by, Perry could oversee the construction of an adequate flotilla. I warned him, however, not to be too ambitious, and to forget about dreadnoughts and armored cruisers for a while, and build instead a few small sailing-boats that could be manned by four or five men. I was to proceed to Sari, and while prosecuting my search for Diane, attempt at the same time the rehabilitation of the Federation. Perry was going as far as possible by water, with the chances that the entire trip might be made in that manner, which proved to be the fact. With a couple of Mesops as companions, I started for Sari. In order to avoid crossing the principal range of the Mountains of the Clouds, we took a route that passed a little way south of Futra. We had eaten four times, and slept once, and were, as my companions told me, not far from the great Mahar city, when we were suddenly confronted by a considerable band of Sagoths. They did not attack us, owing to the peace which exists between the Mahars and the Mesops, but I could see that they looked upon me with considerable suspicion. My friends told them that I was a stranger from a remote country, and as we had previously planned against such a contingency, I pretended ignorance of the language which the human beings of Pellucidar employ in conversing with the gorilla-like soldiery of the Mahars. I noticed, and not without misgivings, that the leader of the Sagoths eyed me with an expression that betokened partial recognition. I was sure that he had seen me before during the period of my incarceration in Futra, and that he was trying to recall my identity. It worried me not a little. I was extremely thankful when we bade them adieu and continued upon our journey. Several times during the next few marches I became acutely conscious of the sensation of being watched by unseen eyes, but I did not speak of my suspicions to my companions. Later I had reason to regret my reticence, for, well, this is how it happened. We had killed an antelope, and after eating our fill I had lain down to sleep. The Plucidarians, who seemed seldom, if ever, to require sleep, joined me in this instance, for we had a very trying march along the northern foothills of the Mountains of the Clouds, and now, with their bellies filled with meat, they seemed ready for slumber. When I awoke it was with a start to find a couple of huge Sagoths astride me. They pinioned my arms and legs, and later chained my wrists behind my back. Then they let me up. I saw my companions, the brave fellows lay dead where they had slept javelin to death without a chance at self-defense. I was furious. I threatened the Sagoth leader with all sorts of dire reprisals, but when he heard me speak the hybrid language that is the medium of communication between his kind and the human race of the inner world, he only grinned as much as to say, I thought so. 
They had not taken my revolvers or ammunition away from me because they did not know what they were. But my heavy rifle I had lost. They simply left it where it had lain beside me. So low in the scale of intelligence are they, that they had not sufficient interest in this strange object even to fetch it along with them. I knew from the direction of our march that they were taking me to Futra. Once there I did not need much of an imagination to picture what my fate would be. It was the arena and a wild thag or fierce tarag for me, unless the Mahars elected to take me to the pits. In that case my end would be no more certain, though infinitely more horrible and painful, for in the pits I should be subjected to cruel vivisection. From what I had once seen of their methods in the pits of Futra, I knew them to be the opposite of merciful, whereas in the arena I should be quickly dispatched by some savage beast. Arrived at the underground city, I was taken immediately before a slimy Mahar. When the creature had received the report of the Sagoth, its cold eyes glistened with malice and hatred as they were turned balefully upon me. I knew then that my identity had been guessed. With a show of excitement that I had never before seen evinced by a member of the dominant race of Pellucidar, the Mahar hustled me away, heavily guarded, through the main avenue of the city to one of the principal buildings. Here we were ushered into a great hall where presently many Mahars gathered. In utter silence they conversed, for they have no oral speech since they are without auditory nerves. Their method of communication Perry has likened to the projection of a sixth sense into a fourth dimension, where it becomes cognizable to the sixth sense of their audience. Be that as it may, however, it was evident that I was the subject of discussion, and from the hateful looks bestowed upon me not a particularly pleasant subject. How long I waited for their decision I do not know, but it must have been a very long time. Finally one of the Sagoths addressed me. He was acting as interpreter for his masters. "'The Mahars will spare your life,' he said, "'and release you on one condition.' "'And what is that condition?' I asked, though I could guess its terms. "'That you return to them that which you stole from the pits of Futra "'when you killed the four Mahars and escaped,' he replied. "'I had thought that that would be it, "'the great secret upon which depended the continuance of the Mahar race "'was safely hid where only Diane and I knew.' I ventured to imagine that they would have given me much more than my liberty to have it safely in their keeping again, but after that, what? Would they keep their promises? I doubted it. With the secret of artificial propagation once more in their hands, their numbers would soon be made so to overrun the world of Pellucidar that there could be no hope for the eventual supremacy of the human race, the cause for which I so devoutly hoped for which I had consecrated my life, and for which I was not willing to give my life. Yes, in that moment, as I stood before the heartless tribunal, I felt that my life would be a very little thing to give, could it save to the human race of Pellucidar the chance to come into its own by ensuring the eventual extinction of the hated, powerful Mahars. Come, exclaimed the Sagoths, the mighty Mahars await your reply. 
you may say to them i answered that i shall not tell them where the great secret is hid when this had been translated to them there was a great beating of reptilian wings gaping of sharp fanged jaws and hideous hissing i thought that they were about to fall upon me on the spot and so i laid my hands upon my revolvers but at length they became more quiet and presently transmitted some command to my sagoth guard the chief of which laid a heavy hand upon my arm and pushed me roughly before him from the audience chamber they took me to the pits where i lay carefully guarded i was sure that i was to be taken to the vivisection laboratory and it required all my courage to fortify myself against the terrors of so fearful a death in pellucidar where there is no time death agonies may endure for eternities accordingly i had to steel myself against an endless doom which now stared me in the face End of chapter 4